good morning once again. Current time is 9 a.m. on the nose on this Monday, the 1st of February. Welcome to month two of year two of the global pandemic. And we're pleased to have you along here for Community Pulse, our live locally produced program on the coronavirus pandemic here in Missouri, right here on your listener-supported and volunteer-operated community radio station. As a reminder of our production schedule, you can catch Community Pulse live Mondays and Wednesdays from 9 a.m. to 9.30 a.m., The backdated episodes are then available immediately on our website. Later in the day, they are uploaded to our Facebook profile, and you can also find them on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. should remind you that uh, if you follow us on social media, we also routinely post links from our discussion each day. There's a, a lot to keep track of, and so for your further edification purposes, we'll always post the links that we're going to talk about, and that's an especially relevant issue today, as we have quite a bit to talk about with Dr. Elizabeth Alleman, local family physician and host of Your Health Matters. Today's show is about variants and vaccines, the two Vs, if you will, and there is such a great deal to keep track of, and what amounts to something about global arms arms race between a mutating virus and a vaccine uh, manufacturing species. But thankfully, Dr. Alleman is with us this morning. Dr. Alleman, how are you today? I am I am great. I am so grateful to be in this community with resources like KOPN. And I'm really, really very cheered by the numbers today. Um, the uh, just starting locally, uh, the latest data from Boone County reported 129, 57 cases, but the five-day average is um, lower. It's continuing to come down, so it's around 71 cases a day, which is in the range of what the health department says they can probably keep up with. So, And it has been falling fairly consistently since um, the peak in uh, early November with a repeat peak in late November. So um, that is reassuring me. All of our hospitals are now functioning on green status, which means they are under normal operations. They are accepting transfers. We've got 20-some Boone County residents with COVID in the hospital. So we're, um, I'm, I'm presuming that from the outside, it looks like our um, frontline hospital workers are um, back to the hard work that they do during uh, the winter, which is typically a time for influenza and, you know, more car accidents and those kinds of things. Um, statewide, our numbers continue to decline in um, cases and uh, hospitalizations are down. Uh, uh, Facebook posts from our colleague in uh, uh, Eric Martin in uh, southern Missouri in the Joplin area says that he is also seeing from the insider's view fewer people coming in with COVID. He's now taking care of other things besides uh, COVID. Not that he wasn't always, but it seems like he's saying his shifts aren't just COVID, one COVID after another. Um, And across the country, we are seeing um, diminishing uh, variants. I mean, I'm sorry, diminishing numbers of cases, uh, falling death rates, finally a little bit. They are still high and they are still sobering and it is not time for us to to slack off or to relax what we're doing um but and then many some people are beginning to get vaccinated we've had some 30 million vaccine doses uh administered in the last what six weeks Mm -hmm. so this is the end of january we started the middle of december um 
The vaccine rollout in Missouri has been much maligned, and some of that is really uh, well-deserved, sadly. Uh, we are um, the 50th in the nation as far as the percentage of our population who has received a dose of the vaccine. However, we are right in the middle. We've had 53% of the vaccines that have been distributed to us have been administered, which is the nation's average. So, you know, I'm not sure how we are getting dinged for vaccinating fewer percent of our population when we are giving out half of our vaccine doses, which is what the other states are doing. Now, we could be leading like other um, rural, smaller states like South Dakota and West Virginia, who seem to have really focused on vaccinating their nursing home populations first, but that I was not a part of making the vaccine plan, and I am so glad that I was not a part of having to do that. That's a big work. And every time I tried to put my mind around it, um, neurons started to explode. So I'm grateful for the people who did that. And it looks like the vaccine rollout across the nation is getting better as we do several things, as we have, in my opinion, effective leadership on a national level. And as we get used to doing this, and as people start to, as we start to ramp up large mass vaccination sites. So there's a vaccination site. Uh, there have been some mass vaccination um, uh, events in uh, Audrain County. I hear that they're setting them up in St. Louis. I am sure that everyone is just eager, who has not been vaccinated yet, is eager to get on these lists. And I totally support that. I am unaware of the, the way a person gets on lists. Um, other than the things I have listed on my website at dralliman.com. And there you can get on, you can find links to get on lists at uh, the University of Missouri at Boone Hospital Center and through the um, county health department. It is true now that counties in Missouri seem to not be limiting their vaccinations to people who live in their county. So if you are living in a county that does not appear to have a Oh, system set up that's easy for you to find uh, to get a vaccine, you can look in other counties. So if you have a way to get there, you can be vaccinated in counties other than um, the one that you live in. So um, many people have spent a fair amount of time online and gotten on many lists and then canceled all their appointments once they got their vaccine. And um, we had uh, Alice Turner on um, Wednesday last week describing her efforts as an informed citizen who's worked in public health for her career, uh, figuring out how to make the system work for her. And um, I am confident there are many people who are figuring that out. And I think that in the next, you know, I am hoping, and it looks like it may actually be true, that in the next couple of weeks, we're going to get a more streamlined system and people are going to be able to get in a line that they have some sense about where they're going. So those are the numbers that I am watching. Oh, and the other thing is that the sewer shed surveillance project data is showing that around the state, um, we're, we're all just doing better. So everybody is either declining or, um, or stable, except for three hot spots, sort of in north central Missouri, Macon, uh, Carrollton, and um, Brookfield. Are both all three of them have increasing numbers in their sewer shed data, um, but all the rest of the state is either um, statistically stable or declining, which is a great 
harbinger of what's gonna what our case numbers are gonna look like in the next week or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is despite colleges re um, gathering and uh, schools opening for in person classes. So I am still holding my breath. I am no, no, not I'm breathing, but I'm I'm watching the future uh, carefully. I do not think that we are out of the the winter yet, but. These are um, all promising numbers um, today, which is a great foundation to stand on to look ahead at these genetic variants that are concerning us. Mm-hmm. Well, for those who are, uh, I mean, it's a tough thing to keep track of how many variants there are. Um, but I think we're going to discuss three today, correct? Um, the one. Yes, we are. Now, I just I sent you a um, a link to a um, to something called nextstrain.org, and they have some graphics that are stunning. And we have lots of variants, many, many of them. Three hundred and ninety, it looks like. Mm-hmm. So viruses, uh, life as it reproduces, becomes more varied. And that, it, and the faster a population is reproducing, the faster it's going to have variations. So um, the variants that we're the most interested in are the ones that seem to change the way the virus dances out with humans in ways that we care about. So does it become more infectious? Is it easier to get? Does it spread more rapidly? So that's uh, transmissibility or infectiousness. Does it become, um, does it change the severity of the illness? In general, you can't count on it, but in general, uh, viral illnesses um, evolve to become more infectious and less lethal. And if you think about it, that those are two uh, qualities of their, um, their nature that would increase their survivability, increase their numbers. So a ver- a, just like a horse that could run faster and get away from predators is more likely to pass on, uh, reproduce and pass on its genetics. A virus that can spread more rapidly and keeps its host alive and moving in the community is going to have more offspring as well. So does it increase or decrease um, the severity of the illness? Um, And especially like looking at like, does it change how how it interacts with particular populations? Does it change in its response to the treatments? And specifically, we're looking at, since our primarily the only treatments we have that specifically attack the virus are antibody uh, treatments. So either the monoclonal antibodies or what we call polyclonal antibodies or uh, convalescent serum, which is where we take the, the blood from people who've recovered, filter out the cellular products, and we're using the antibodies of a person who's recovered to protect somebody who's just now gotten sick. And you might imagine that a virus that was a little bit genetically different is going to respond differently to those antibodies. And then also, is it going to change um, in our ability to, for those of us who've been vaccinated or those of us who've already had the disease, to be able to um, still be immune to the, to the, di- the disease? Um, and the last one is, does it change in our ability to detect the virus um, uh, with our testing. And since what we're testing with these PCR polymerase chain reaction, the nasal swab that takes usually a day or you know, eight hours to 48 hours to get the results back, those tests are looking at the actual viral RNA and certainly, and actually certain p- 
part of that viral RNA sequence. The tests we have now, I think, are looking at three different snippets. So you'd for the vac- for the virus to be a variant to be undetected by our current test that we're using in the United States. If I understand this correctly, and that is a big if, um, you would have to it would have to mutate in three different places so that we wouldn't see that RNA at all. Mm-hmm. So we have these um, three ones that are concerning to us. We're trying really hard. It is we're in a way to try to be respectful of all people. We try not to label diseases based on the place that they came from, but that's the way we've been talking about them. So there's the and so now they they come up with these uh, alphanumeric ways of in, of uh, expressing them. So the B one one seven or the VUI twenty twenty twelve oh one. Um, that is, it was detected in 2020 in December, and it was the first one we detected in December, um, is uh, the one that we started to see in September, uh, first um, identified in Kent, England. But we don't know where it actually, where the evolution actually happened. Um, The United Kingdom and Denmark are doing way more genetic surveillance for these genetic variants in any other country. So it's not surprising that uh, the UK um, found one first. Um, we have 467 cases in the United States of this variant that we know of in 32 different states, not Missouri yet, that we know of. Um, the surveillance in the United States is way less than what, we do, what they're doing in the UK and Denmark. But uh, the folks from the Sewer Shed Surveillance Project told me that they were doing some surveillance for these variants, and so far they're not finding it. They don't, since it's a new project, it's new science, they don't know how many copies of that will have to be present for them to be able to see it in the way that they're looking for it. And that one is uh, pr- quickly became the predominant uh, variant in the southeast of England, which is where London is, uh, in about four months. It is um, much more infectious or transmissible. And um, so uh, the UK was trying to figure out why their numbers were rising so sharply, despite the fact they had more more restrictions, more social distancing and non-pharmacologic interventions than many other countries. And we think that it may be because of this variant. We don't know yet whether it's a more serious illness or not. Um, we don't have clear data, which is a good reassurance that there are so many people with it. And it can be just really hard to tease out those things in a rapidly um, expanding uh, epidemic in a particular country. So I think that the people who would need to ask and answer that question are busy taking care of a lot of sick people. And we can identify it with the the current test. It's it's only, uh, there's only one um, of those uh, three snippets missing. Um, And uh, we believe that the current vaccines, the current immunity, and the current antibody treatments are probably effective for that, but that's still emerging data. And then there's uh, B1.1.351 that we're calling South Africa. Um, or was first identified in South Africa. It is also more transmissible. Um, no, also no evidence of change in severity. Um, uh, antibody treatments for this uh, virus may be less effective, but we don't know how much we we're using. Um, 
you know, uh, what do you call that, lab-based in vitro uh, data to speculate. So they're mixing the antibody with the virus to see whether it inactivates the virus. And we don't yet have clinical trials of what happens in the actual people. And the one that people seem to be the most concerned about is called P.1, uh, which first uh, emerged in Brazil. And uh, we are concerned about the ability to evade the immune response from infection. So people who were previously infected may be able to be reinfected with this uh, virus. And that is really concerning. It feels like, oh, gosh, are we starting over from square one? And no, we are not. We are not starting over from square one. And I have to keep telling myself that in part because we, um, there is a presumption that um, you'll have partial protection. Uh, for the severity of the illness, and that is part of what we need to to keep um, reminding ourselves that's the key question. So um, there was a recent study that reported on a cluster of cases in Manaus, which is the largest city in the Amazon region. Uh, P1 variant was identified in 42% of the specimen sequence from late December. In this region, it's estimated that approximately 75% of the population had already been infected with SARS-CoV-2 as of October 2020, and there's been a documented case of a person who got the original variant and and then some 120 days later got uh, infected with this uh, P.1 variation. But that was a healthcare worker, and both illnesses were mild. So we don't yet know whether this is going to cause severe disease in people who have previously been infected. I'm so wondering, I've are, just been talking a lot, Peter. Well, <laughs> what have some, I not covered? <laughs> no, I, I think you covered everything. I mean, we covered these three variants. Essentially, uh, and our listeners know this, we're, we're just discussing natural selection 101. I mean, we began the program with uh, the fact that this virus, this novel coronavirus, has that we know of um, 390, a minimum of 390 separate mutations. And we're going to post the link to Next Strain in that incredible graph there that shows how the virus sort of mutated over time. And the natural selection 101 part that we're discussing is is that natural selection will favor a less deadly yet more contagious form of this virus. And that's what we're seeing uh, in these three uh, new mutations that are very concerning because they happen to be highly contagious. And they've caused uh, you know, extra outbreaks in South Africa, Brazil, Denmark, and England. Not that the virus originated in these places, but we've seen um, <coughs> extra outbreaks even in, you know, with social distancing measures in these regions because there's a more contagious variant of the virus out there that we are not entirely sure is is necessarily, you know, more deadly or uh, less uh, <clears throat> susceptible to uh, inoculation via vaccine or anything like this. But th- this is what happens when you have a virus like this. The more contagion right, variant... And it doesn't, right, and it doesn't mean that we might have a variant for a while that is causes more serious disease, but that over time... Um, the selection process tends to select for illnesses that make it only, you know, that we get up in the morning, we say, well, I can still go to work. I don't feel that bad. Hmm. I, I'm still, you're, you send your kids to, to school. Like, you don't feel that bad. Go to school. And um, so the, these are the, the viruses that spread more easily, um, uh, ooh, the ones that cause a mild illness. Um, yeah, so... 
so um, yeah, we're we are dancing through this. I think one of the messages is, though, from a public health standpoint, is that the uh, precautions that we've all been taking for the last year that have been helpful and have kept us from getting the illness or kept us from spreading it if we got it, we're going to have to up our game with these more contagious variants. So, you know, we may have gotten through with still having bars and restaurants open, this may be my drum, we may need to place more restrictions. We may have to put, uh, you know, in, get more people to wear masks, um, decrease the size of gatherings mm-hmm. for a time. Well, I mean... While we get our vaccine game going. The, the, the point of emphasis, of course, is what, what is the best defense against spreading a mutated virus? Well, not spreading it. So... Uh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> indeed. Right, because we will get... The, the, the number of variants in this evolution process will go slower if we can reduce the spread of the disease. Precisely. So, which, which is what the vaccines are going to do. All right. So um, there is, I think we have been, for a very good reason, there are some people who are saying that we're short-selling these vaccines, that we are talking about how, yeah, just because you're vaccinated doesn't mean you get to go without a mask. I have gotten my second vaccine. I can't tell you how much different I feel. I'm so thrilled to have gotten my second vaccine. Not that it was a walk in the park. I am still wearing my mask. We are talking in my office about um, going to double masking, which we have not been doing because we have very little traffic. Um, But we are still, I'm still washing my hands. I'm still using hand sanitizer. We are still opening the windows when we can stand it in the office when there's a patient here we're running more heaters and opening the windows. Uh, we're using fans. We're using an air purifier, um, and I'm being we're being very careful about who comes and goes out of the office. As a family, we're also being very careful about those things. So this is not the time, even those people who've been vaccinated, to shift because we don't know. I'm really irritated. We haven't done that test. We don't know whether people with who've been vaccinated can still get an asymptomatic case of this illness and spread it. Yes, that's also and, very important. Yeah. So, um, uh, but what we do know is this vaccine is very effective at preventing serious illness, death, and hospitalization. So I couldn't find it again. I was reading um, late last night. Um, that there was, I think it's through the New York Times site, that there was a, that they combined the 75,000 people who have been given a vaccine in the phase three trials of the five vaccines that are being either used or considering being used very quick, very soon, and not a single one of those have died. Not a single one of 75,000 people given active vaccine in the trials of these five common or close soon to be common vaccines have died. And only a few, like a dozen or so, have been hospitalized compared to several hundred people who would have who died in the vaccinated, unvaccinated group and more, you know, several times that of people who are hospitalized. So since one of the things we need to do to get out of this pandemic is have our hospitals return to some sort of normal functioning, hopefully some better normal, we, when we can, can limit the number of people who get, need to be hospitalized from this illness, 
we are going to be able to breathe a collective sigh of relief and go back to things like uh, weddings and funerals and hugging each other. Um, But we need to get enough people vaccinated so that um, that is that we're, we're keeping people out of the hospital and out of the morgue. Now, there are going to st- there are going to be some people over time, and, and it's it's most people now who haven't gotten the vaccine. And over time, even once we are done rolling out this vaccine, there will be people who, for some reason, because of accessibility, because of contraindications, um, or because of hesitancy, um, don't get vaccinated. And those people will still be susceptible to getting COVID disease, spreading it, and um, and getting hospital, getting severely sick, being miserable, getting long COVID, or dying, and um, that is a different question than can we keep our hospital system from collapsing? And the vaccines, I believe, are going to do keep the hospitals from collapsing. And it's not because I think hospitals are the most important system we have. It's just that when they collapse, all kinds of really bad things happen, and I don't want all those bad things to happen to me and to the people I care about. So we are trying really hard to bring the, the vaccination part on board, and that's and and so we are not sure what the variants are going to do to the vaccine effectiveness. And we in all and just be clear, when we hear things like "oh, this vaccine is less effective against that variant," just know that we don't really know that. What we know is that when we, the parts of the trial that were done in a place where there's more of that variant, um, there was a difference in efficacy. And was it because of the variant? We don't know yet. So these are just suggestions and not for sure. So I keep getting questions from people like, which vaccine should I get? I say the first one you're offered. Yeah. Well, it it's is the first one you're offered. I mean, to be fair, it, it is sort of a mind bending prospect because these vaccines, they have different delivery systems, do they not? They do. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, I, I'm sure I mean, my question as a layperson has always been, well, well, which one should I go with? Should I go with the traditional one that has a weakened form of the virus or this new technology that has, uh, you know, something else? Effectively, what you're saying is the first one that's offered to you has a pretty good chance. No, no guarantees, but. Right. So I did the same thing, Peter. It's like when it was like obvious that I was going to be offered a vaccine. I'm like, I don't know. This new mRNA technology. I'm not typically an early adopter for healthcare things. And then I'm like, Elizabeth, you aren't going to know. We are not going one of these vaccines or several of these vaccines are going to be seen as more effective or causing fewer side effects or having a longer-term effectiveness or being better for certain groups. And that'll be the one you'll want to have gotten. But we don't have that data yet. So all we're doing is speculating, which the human mind loves to do, but I don't, I could not see how even, and I did it. I dug through the data. I, and I was like, Elizabeth, you're just making yourself crazy. You are not getting any closer to anything that seems, feels like truth. You're just upsetting yourself. In another year or two or five, we're going to have a better idea about, oh, I sure wish I'd gotten the Moderna, but I got the Pfizer. But we can't make decisions today based on information we're going to learn in five years. Right. Indeed. Well, that is yeah. quite the discussion as well. <laughs> but, I mean, as you point out, the, the, 
you know, the, <clears throat> the primary reason for all of these restrictions, um, you know, globally in this global pandemic have been that we need to keep the hospitals open. Because people will unfortunately die of this virus, but we're trying our best to minimize that by not overwhelming the hospitals. Once the hospitals get clear again, life can begin to return to some kind of normalcy. And that is within sight. Uh, right. The only we also want to pro- yeah, we also want to protect our elders and our vulnerable, which we're doing uh, by prioritizing them for the vaccine. Of course. But yeah. it's, I mean, yeah, the, the vaccine question is a real hair-bending one, <laughs> particularly with the new yes, technology. Uh, unfortunately, I suppose we'll have to save that conversation for another day. Uh, yes. This has been uh, Community Pulse. As always, it's been a great pleasure to speak with you, Dr. Alleman. Thank you for so much of the information and uh, look forward okay, to speaking to you, you again so next so week. Everybody, wear your mask, wash your hands, stay out of large groups, open the windows, take your vitamin D. Get the first vaccine that you're offered and cultivate a cheerful confidence that you're going to get through this. Thank you, Peter. <laughs> Thank you so much, Dr. Holman. We'll look forward to okay. speaking with you again next week. Okay. Right. And that was Community Pulse for the first day of February in 2021. So glad that you could join us here on your listener-supported and volunteer-operated community radio station. As a reminder, if you happen to miss out on any of that conversation, it's available right now on our website, kopn.org. kopn.org. We'll post it to our Facebook profile later today, and you can also find it on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Uh, as well as the links. We talked about a lot today, and we'd love to share the links with you to all of the articles that we were talking about. Uh, the one that we started off the conversation with um, can be found, what is this, uh, nextstrain.org, a complete genome sequencing of all of the 390 known variants that we have. And to summarize our conversation, we know of three variants right now that are more contagious. We don't know whether or not one or the other vaccine may uh, <coughs> be more effective or not effective. Shouldn't preclude anyone from getting one, the first chance, first opportunity that they have. So until Wednesday, when we come to you again live at 9 a.m., we thank you so much for joining us. Once again, please stay safe, stay informed, Columbia. Speak to you again soon.